Genesis 24:67. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Brian Bales. And I'm Jeff McCrary. We'd like to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Genesis chapter 24. But before we do that, we want to discuss with you the ways to contact us, and we want to talk about the podcast in general. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And uh, our whole goal with Walking Through the Book is to uh, really stress uh, individual Bible reading, uh, as it is, we want to stress deep Bible study and an appreciation for the text as it is, and to stick with that text, no more, no less. And we invite you to be a part of us in this. Uh, to uh, we invite you to contact us with feedback concerning this and enter the discussion. You can email us at walking through the book at protonmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can easily search for walking through the book and find us there. Or uh, you can go to the website where this podcast is typically hosted, NorthColumbusChristians.com. That's the website of the congregation that uh, I work with in Columbus, Mississippi, the North Columbus Church of Christ. Uh, we do uh, have a special guest today, and this is primarily because uh, I'm visiting home. This is my dad, Jeff McCrary. Dad, would you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Jeff McCrary. I'm the minister, or one of the ministers for the River City Church of Christ. We started to work in Columbus, Georgia, about three years ago, and I'm living in Phoenix City, Alabama. Uh, we are located in the church building, 3900 River Road in Columbus, Georgia. We'd love to have you come visit us Sunday mornings at 9:30, Sunday afternoons at five, and Wednesday evenings at seven. And uh, we're really thankful for Dad being willing to, to do this and uh, to be a part of this. Um, Bryant, why don't you let everybody know how they can contact you and uh, kind of go over the flow of the program. Yeah, so uh, what we're trying to do, just like Stephen uh, mentioned a minute ago, is uh, just look through uh, the Bible and do it book by book, and we're in Genesis right now. So we're going to be... Uh, doing our normal uh, outline of things, we try to read through the text and just uh, try to make some initial general observations about anything we may have uh, noticed that maybe we haven't noticed before, um, or just point out some things that maybe relate to the momentum of you know the book of Genesis to this point, and some things that crossed our mind maybe in, at a bigger picture scale. Um, and then we move into things that uh, we may have seen as uh, foreshadowing some of the greater events that may have uh, come about in Christ's life or with the New Testament church or uh, even other events uh, in the Old Testament. And from there, we try to move to application as well. Um, you know, we always try to think about how can we, how can we think more practically about the things that we read? You know, and there's, there's, there's always a way to think more personally about every, every portion of scripture. 
Um, and so that's how we'll be concluding our, our reading today. And, and we're doing that because of our, our love for God's Word and our, our, our firm belief that what we're reading is, is truly the Word of God. That even though these are events in Genesis that uh, took place thousands of years ago, that they're still because of a connection to the, to the living and the true God, um, there's lessons in, the event, in these events that are still pertinent for us today, and there are still essential lessons for us to universally understand, uh, no matter our age or culture or background, uh, whatever our circumstances are, um, Genesis chapter 24 that we'll be reading today will have something that's, that's for us because of uh, the relationship that these words have to, to a God who's created all people of all time. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a general outline of what we'll be doing today. That's, you know, again, we, we talk about this probably too much, but, I mean, that is kind of a rarity. We do face a world that is consistently moving away from the relevancy of the word. And I say that because, you know, people talk about we need our church to be relevant. We need relevant lessons. We need this to be relevant, et cetera, et cetera. What could be more relevant than a timeless book that has been uh, given to us by the Creator God. I can't think of anything more relevant than that. And right. uh, you just go through the intellectual uh, uh, hurdle, the, the 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 basic test of if there is a God, what kind of book would He write? And uh, the Bible certainly fits the bill. <laughs> what else are you going to find that even remotely gets to that level of wisdom? And so that's that's the right. kind of idea that ideas and understanding that we have about the Bible. Um, but again, we may be wrong, so we certainly uh, welcome any feedback, uh, if at all possible, for that. You know, the Bible teaches in a number of different ways. Stories like this are so special because they help us know how to feel. Rather than getting a list of commands from God, we get a story that contains commands. We can put ourselves in our minds in Abraham's shoes, or Isaac's shoes, or the servant Eliezer's shoes. And we can feel how they feel and, and learn a lot from that that we wouldn't get from a bare list of commands. If there's nothing else to be said, let's uh, move into our reading. Uh, we're going to be reading Genesis 24. My dad will be reading the first 33 verses of the New, New American Standard. And Bryant, I believe you'll have the last uh, half of the chapter in the New King James. Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? 
Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God, the, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so I may drink, and who answers drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. <clears throat> She said, Drink, my lord, and she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed down low and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who is not forsaking his loving kindness and his truth toward his my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, This is what the man has said to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside, since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels, and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. 
and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family, and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the water of well. And it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water and I say to her, Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, Please, let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists, and I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord, and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass, when Abraham's servant heard their words, that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has spurred my may go to my master. So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands and ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Be'er Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into, the, into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. 
So is this uh, one of the first times in Genesis and in the Old Testament that we're seeing a story basically repeated to someone else in the same chapter? I'm not sure we've seen that up to this point. That's where I was... Yeah, kind of a unique, unique things. Yeah, I don't think we've also seen such a detailed account of marriage. Right. You know, of, of a woman being selected and uh, just the process, the gifts, um, the character, uh, the anticipation. Uh, just all of that just seems really unique, actually. I would agree. So there's a lot of interesting things going on. And I, I've always really thought that Rebecca is a woman who just feels a little overlooked among yeah. Old Testament women. Um, just kind of in the same way I feel about Isaac. Um, I've never really thought very much about Isaac, you know, growing up. But you think a lot about right. Abraham, you think a lot about Jacob, but here's Isaac and Rebecca. Um, but there's a lot of interesting things to, to think about here. Just um, oh, definitely, yeah. But you know, just one of the one of the funnier things here is like to me, it's like he put the nose ring in her <laughs> in her nose. It's just like, well, what? did he just force it in there? Or <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, maybe that's a little goofy. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the jewelry requirements of nose rings and how uh, how they can be shaped. Different size noses. I don't know. Yeah, not neither am I. Um, I don't know. But I, I, one thing I think of: uh, a- Abraham and Sarah have this child who is to be uh, through whom the, the seed would come, and this was to be the fulfillment of God's promise. And can you imagine how they want to get everything perfect? Everything they want to do everything as parents and stewards of this special child in a way that pleases God. And so Abraham's saying, don't dare bring, take him back there. Uh, keep him here. And gives him the various steps and is certain that God will watch over this process. And so I see into the heart of how Abraham and Sarah are feeling about this. Uh, and you know, having been a parent myself and so many others who feel the same way. Child is a very special thing. And that steward takes his job very seriously. Um, he's going to fulfill it. And, and at the same time, uh, you know, I, I say this with qualifiers, and every time I talk about this, I say it with qualifiers. But, you know, I think we've already discussed before I'm walking through the book that, you know, arranged marriages in foreign countries, you know, foreign countries that have arranged marriages typically have much lower divorce rates. Again, not saying that's the way it should be, but uh, but Abraham is taking an active interest in who his son is going to end up with, and that's you know that that may be something for us to to touch back on in the uh, application section at the end of the show. But um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of detail and a lot of focus on uh, the order of these things, and in fact the the servant uh, his steward has such a uh, a deep faith in God that it seems to be asking for something very, very specific. Uh, and yet he, he waits until that happens. You were at, you were speaking about funny things. I'm, I'm fascinated by this hand of the, under the thigh business. Uh, this, this method that they had in ancient times 
by which they swore to one another uh, or promised to one another that they would accomplish uh, a task or fulfill a promise. Uh, where did that come from and how did it come about and where was the concept of putting a hand under a thigh and that somehow that would show that I'll fulfill my promise? Well, it's kind of an interesting thing. The, the only thing I've ever heard or read was that you're exposing a very tender and vulnerable part of yourself to someone else. That's the only I guess that's, that's the only thought that I would have there is that you know, it may be it it, it may be a way that <laughs> I dare say two men could be uh you know, make an intimate promise right in, in a in a way that would not be normal. Yeah, I think, well, not normal to our thoughts, for yeah. sure. But, I mean, we talked a few episodes back about when Abraham asked for a sign that this covenant is real, that he's really going to go through on his promises. And Abraham takes all these animals that, coincidentally, are animals that uh, were later on going to be used in the burnt sacrifices and the offerings of the nation of Israel, but he cuts them all in two, and God passes a flame through those split animals. And Bryant and I talked, to, you know, we talked about how we really have no idea what that was particularly about. Or if there was a significance culturally back then. But generally, you know, and, and we talked about in the theme section of that program that, uh, that the bigger symbolism of what was going on really trumps anything you could say about the ritual itself. That that idea, that that continuing thought that we've had so far, that theme that we've sort of developed with Genesis, the idea of separation, the idea of parting, the idea of, and that's not necessarily separation in bad ways, but everything having its place. And uh, all throughout the book, that seems to be uh, what's going on. But here, this is sort of an inverse of that theme. Would you say, Bryant? Because we're working on getting Isaac and Rebecca together. Yeah, I think just a couple of thoughts on the hand under the thigh thing. So the servant is going to find a wife for his master's son who came from his loins. And so I think that factors into this um, because it's, it's an oath based on what's come from his loins. And then... How did God enter into a personal covenant with Abraham? Well, in Genesis 17, the covenant of circumcision. You know, so not to get too graphic, I think there's a lot of things that have been going on uh, around this and within this that relate to, um, you know, where where Abraham chose to have his servant uh, physically uh, swear that oath with him. Um, you know, and I, something that stuck out to me too in this chapter. Um, just the exaltation of others, you know, like, uh, the servant was so humble. It just like, it floors me seeing how humble this servant is. I mean, he really represent, represents Abraham's heart. You know, and I think about that with Jesus. Jesus completely represented the father in his heart, you know, which is interesting. And then, uh, Rebecca, I mean, Rebecca's humility is outstanding. Yes. Um, and I think there's some things that we'll kind of look at as we go on with this, but I think there's a reason why this is so detailed because God wants us to peer very intimately into the heart of these individuals. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really the key thing is, is God is trying to demonstrate how special these people are because of how their hearts have been so humbled. Um, you know, the servant, at least by the knowledge of God and Rebecca, uh, 
I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that there's something in her uh, that that knows God to, to act like this because she just she acts so unusually. It's just it's very strange uh, just how humble this woman is. You know, you, you look at Abraham and his servant here. Yes, the servant was very humble, but I see two men who are close friends here, who are mm. confidants, who are, have trusted one another as deeply as two men can, and they're having a conversation. And there's a sense in which, though he is Abraham's servant, they are equal in 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 certain ways here that are striking. And even though we can have our place and be humble, we need to recognize and appreciate how the that humility strengthens, if not forms, this bond that these two men have. Why did they have so much in common? So much, how, how were they able to sink such a deep level? It's because both of them were humble men. Right. Both of them yeah. regarded one another with respect. Mm. That's such a good point. You know, later on in the chapter, it is just interesting. All, all together, I think we can see... Really, with Rebecca, there's a quiet strength in her that I would say there's a meekness to Rebecca. Um, uh, verse 10 tells us that this servant takes 10 of his camels, right? And so she, she gives water for these camels. Now, I, I looked this up once, and supposedly, uh, one camel can drink about 20 or 25 gallons of water within 10 minutes. And so I think it's possible that Rebecca may have provided as much as 400 gallons of water for these camels. And you're drawing it up from a well. Yeah. It's not like you're turning on a spigot. That's some, that's some hard work. I don't think yeah. Rebecca was a dainty, you know... Uh, well, she offered to do this. Right. Yeah, that she's thing. commanded. No, she's not forced to do it. She, she, she offers. Offer. Yeah, she she makes, and that's that's what she does. This out of out of her the goodness of her heart, really. Desire. She right. didn't know. She didn't know who this yeah. guy was. She didn't know that he was associated with Abraham or Isaac or anything like that. She just wanted to help him, and I think that's you know a lot of good things that we can we can bring back up. And then later on, I think we see her obedience. She doesn't. She doesn't buck this. She doesn't push against this, even though it seems like her family kind of might have gotten in the way a little bit. <laughs> Not specifically, but they just didn't want to say goodbye to her. And I get that aspect, too. Um, but uh, well, You know what's, what's interesting about that? Uh, maybe this, this would be a more fitting comment in a different section. Sometimes it's hard to kind of gauge where a thought fits. Um, but Abraham was not willing to withhold it, with with no hesitation, he was willing to sacrifice his only son whom he loved. And he did that because he knew it was of the Lord. And Rebecca's parents acknowledged, this is from the Lord in verse 50. Mm -hmm. And yet when push came to shove, they said, ah, you know what? You know, let's, let's talk to Rebecca about this, because I don't know. You know, this this just, I don't know about this anymore. You know, so it's like they were fickle, mm -hmm. you know. And, and knowing it was of the Lord, it shows that their hearts weren't of the same quality as Abraham's. And it, this now this definitely is a comment that fits more in the theme section, but separation. You know, Genesis continuously is driving the theme of separation and God's ability to separate. Mm. 
You know, and I think it's no accident so that, that there, Rebecca we... of all people, yeah, Rebecca of all people, God sees into her heart and separates her out from her family to get yeah. into the household of the Lord and into the land of the promised possession of God. Um, you know, and I think it that theme transcends this chapter. You know, God constantly, you think of other women like Rahab the harlot, for instance, you know, just a very special woman who God drew out of a condemned people. You know, God is such a master of separating out people based right. on the condition of the heart. And, and but, but even, let me balance that out too, because they do bless Rebecca as she leaves. Right. And do. so there's no, there doesn't seem to be any like bitterness or bad feelings from that. So that's a good thing. But uh, I will mention that you do see the direction that Nahor's family is taking. In another generation, uh, mm-hmm. Rachel will be involved with stealing her father's, father's idols right. and lying right. to him. So you do see that separation more clearly right. as you get another generation further. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is nice, though, that, that we see that Rebecca does have a good relationship with her family. And um, mm-hmm. One other thing I wanted to point out while we're in this section of initial things you know, she, once she knows that Isaac is on the horizon, you know, in verse 65, I really find it pretty significant that she took a veil and covered herself. That's interesting. Uh, I, I, I don't know all the, again, I don't know all the cultural reasons, but the way I look at it is that there's a, there's a modesty displayed here. I don't think she was just covering her form, but I think it was a display of reverence and subjection to mm. who she viewed as her future husband. Um, Interesting. It would have been considered immodest yeah. for her to appear to him someone of her relative age that her looks might affect in a good or bad way that she cover herself. And she would have been considered irreverent, brash, if she had not. And then one other thing I wanted to focus on and look at and again, these are just sort of seeds that maybe we can work on throughout the rest of the uh, episode, like always. But uh, it seems like in verse 67 that from Isaac taking Rebekah and she became his wife, from that it seems like he was comforted after his mother's death. Mm. Remember last time we talked about Sarah had died. There was a lot of... But, but it's interesting, you go back, It doesn't. we don't really hear very much from Isaac concerning right. this. Uh, it's just Abraham trying to work out the burial place for Sarah. So the implication is that Sarah's death might have hit Isaac pretty hard. Um, and so, but when he, when Rebecca comes into his life, uh, she really truly seems to become a helpmeet, uh, for him. And, and even though that we understand that there were some problems later on in their marriage, and we're going to be looking into those later, right? Because, Rebecca had a favoritism for Jacob. Isaac had a favoritism for Esau. But at this moment, it seems like everything is really coming together very beautifully. Interesting that uh, Abraham's relatives in Nahor were, I don't know how if you could say wealthy, but they were well-to-do, willing to share. Um, I'm sure that, you know, here comes this servant who tells them he's from their relative. I don't know if there was any other confirmation that they received, but they gave him place to to, to live. Uh, 
not everybody has extra rooms and extra straw for extra mm. camels and different things like that, but they seem to be very hospitable and they're very good people willing to share. Uh, that would be a mark of, if I dare say, pride or, or certainly a desire to, to live up to a standard. Mm. You know, one of the things that, that we need to notice about these Old Testament books, um, you know, we can be hard on these people and say, well, they should have seen that or they should have gotten this together. Um, while at the same time, we may be missing some basic things that modern society just doesn't get. I don't think we get hospitality the same way that these people did in these times, where typically if a stranger came and he wasn't trying to kill you and he needed a place to stay, you would do everything within your power to make that possible. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody in ancient times did that, but certainly a lot of the situations that we have are times where it seems like people generally want to do the right thing uh, in terms of helping others. And that's, that's a good thing for us to notice. So in the theme section, of course, we want to look at the overall picture. We want to sort of take our gaze up higher, so to speak, where we're looking uh, not just at Genesis, not just Genesis 24, not just at Genesis, but we're looking at the context of the whole Bible. And we really need to remember that, that there is a context to the whole Bible. It's not just a context with the local book. These are 66 books that are harmonious in their message, and there's a reason for that. And we want to kind of take a step back and see what does this all say? This story about Rebecca being found, this steward, uh, uh, Rebecca's family, this coming together with Isaac. Um, what, what ties can we make throughout the rest of Scripture? Uh, the obvious familial ties there, but, uh, but Bryant, is there anything that you wanted to look at initially? Well, there was uh, something I was uh, thinking about with Jeff's comment he was just making about hospitality. It seems like hospitality is actually a theme in Genesis. Um, like Genesis 18, Abraham showed hospitality to the angels in a very humble and unusual way before he knew that they were angels from the Lord, seemingly. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah did not show hospitality to the angels, but Lot did. Uh, Lot was very hospitable to the angels. Um, and then Jeff pointed out, uh, you know, the angels here were very hospitable. And um, it's kind of just, think, I'm thinking about like later in the book, um, and I, I'm sure I'm missing a lot of examples along the way, but uh, Egypt, this might sound like a stretch, but Egypt became mm -hmm. hospitable to all the nations of the right. world. You had to go to Egypt to get food, and they were freely willing to give it. Uh, Joseph brought his family into Egypt to protect them and save them. Um, and so maybe maybe that's even a theme, um, you know, in, in, in Scripture that Genesis is really founding and building, because ultimately, you know, we seek shelter under the wings of, of God, you know, through mm -hmm. Christ, mm -hmm. and it's it's we we seek the hospitality of God, which which when we understand how much hospitality He extends us in His house, you know, it encourages us to be hospita hos hospitable um, ourselves. So I think I think that is interesting because I, this is not the only place where you see hospitality in Genesis, but.
I think how frequently you see it actually uh, might move it into actually being a theme of the book. I, I can't agree more than that. Uh, then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's Genesis one twenty-eight. So that's God being hospitable to humanity. Right, yeah. I created yeah. you, this is your right. home. Right. You know, make it right. yours. And uh and that's that's just a really great thing for us to to remember just in general. What ultimately did God do in Jesus? I mean, one of the biggest uh goals was to provide us an eternal home. Um a a, a place the foundations that are made in the heavens and not not by the hand of man. Um, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, that, that really is a huge uh, aspect there. Um, and I know that in this context, back in Genesis 24, we might look at it as a rather uh, minor part of the story, but, uh, but I, I do appreciate that because maybe we're just now noticing that about Genesis. I'm just now noticing that, and I appreciate you bringing that up, Brent. Well, and Rebecca's hospitable. You know, and yeah. her hospitality is insane. Because like you pointed out, 400 gallons of water. But look at verse uh, 14 again. So the servant, for his prayer to be answered, and I want to talk more at some point about the servant and his godliness, but in verse 14, he, in the middle of the verse, was wanting this woman, whoever she turned out to be, to say, drink and I will also give your camels a drink. Now, and maybe this is just a New King James thing, but in verse 19, he says, she says, I will draw water for your camels also, but she doesn't actually stop there. Mm-hmm. She says, until they have finished drinking. Right. And she saw there were 10 camels, right? And she was probably very familiar with camels. So she knew the work that that was going to demand. And so she, this was clearly a woman. She, this was a stranger to her, right? You know, so she was willing to go so far above and beyond uh, even what the servant thought was the providence of God and a clear answer to his prayer. Uh, let me, let me I just think that's, something. that's amazing. I just, I just took a look, and it says a typical camel can drink 53 gallons of water in three minutes. Wow. So my estimation was really low. 400, 400 <laughs> gallons, it's really, it would be over 500 gallons that she drew from that jar in the well. And poured it into the trough. I don't know if the trough leaked. I don't know if they, if, right. if the, maybe the trough was right next to the well for all we know. But yeah, uh, well, but still, pretty well, impressive thing that she, she did, did it quickly as well. Yes, you know, and she ran to to do it all. So it's like there was there was no laziness in Rebecca. And there know, wasn't and there wasn't any bitterness in doing it. There wasn't no, any yeah, kind of like none. grumbling and uh, right. you know, I I, I feel like. I do that a lot. I'm doing something nice for somebody, but at the same time, like in my mind, oh, I hate doing this. And that's, I have to confess that that's, that's a big problem that, that I need to work on. And let me get it over with so I can get back to doing what I wanted to do. Yes, exactly. Um, right. And I can easily fall into the trap. You know, we have so many godly examples in scripture and so many commandments that are so perfect in righteousness that I easily get into the trap of doing something that I know is right just on the basis of knowing it's right. Like, my heart's not really in it. I don't really have a zeal for it. I just know it's right. Right. And that's still not Rebecca. Like, Rebecca had no Bible, no knowledge of Jesus. Yeah. And if she had a knowledge of God, it had to have been just extraordinarily limited. 
So how can it be that this woman who knew probably next to nothing of God can exceed my zeal for doing what's right when the motivation that God has given in Christ, I mean, she's all in there. She's all in. Yeah, all in. Incredible. Yeah. Um, let, let's, let's take a step back too from Rebecca. We can go back to her in a minute too, because there's some big stuff that we want to resolve with her as well in the greater scheme of things. But, uh, you know, this servant, I, I, right. Yeah. God, that's another theme I think that we can pull out of this. The idea of stewardship is so important in the gospels and the new Testament. Okay. So yeah. So, so Luke, Luke 12 in verse 42, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two, and appoint his him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will, and did not prepare himself, or do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more." So if you kind of take this back and apply it to this steward, um, it's it's a really amazing service on his part. He's away from his master. All he could do was just find this girl, just find this random girl and just be, well, you know, yeah, you look good. Um, but he puts such specific qualifications on it. He knows what Abraham wants. And even though Abraham is not there or on his shoulder saying, okay, do this, do this, do this. He's very careful about this in every way. And, uh, and, and in the greater aspect of this, Jesus uh, uh, wants us to be stewards. He, he wants us to be, to be waiting on him and serving, serving him, but also being stewards, being, you know, uh, being servants of each other. Um, and, of course, the greater inheritance that Christians have, the idea that we have... Uh, you know, if, if I'm part of God's covenant grace, then that means I have access to that inheritance. And it's up to me to be that, that steward, that wise and faithful steward. Our standards of service in our world today are so low. Employers tell me over and over, if you can just get somebody to show up for work when they're supposed to, not steal from the company, they may not be an expert at what they do, but if you get somebody at least that can do that, won't harm your business. But we need to be good servants. We need to have the confidence of our employers and of our family and of our friends, and especially of God. So the qualities this servant had speak volumes to the kind of people that we need to try to be. It's the kind yeah, of and people I love... That, I'm sorry, go ahead. Steve. I was just going to say, it's the kind of people that God wants for his kingdom. Mm. Just you know, I think we need to recall that and remember that, that that this is what he's expecting of his faithful. We're, we're getting really into application a little bit more there, but go ahead, Brunt. I'm going to say in verse 12, you know, I think it's amazing. He understood the nature of his stewardship 
was not just related to Abraham. Um, like, for instance, uh, in verse 12, he says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please. And I, I looked at different translations there for a minute, and that word please is in the New American Standard and the English Standard Version, and it's a word that's there in the Hebrew. Uh, so he says please knowing that this is something that God has to grant by grace. And then he, show, he says, and show kindness to my master Abraham. That word kindness is the word chesed. That is one of the most incredible words in the entire Old Testament. Because mm. chesed is the word for God's covenantal, unfailing faithfulness. He knows that this task is related to God's covenantal faithfulness to his master. Blows my mind. Wow. You know, chesed is one of the most common words used in the Psalms. Uh, because in the Psalms, the psalmists in troubles are constantly appealing to God's unfailing covenantal love. It's all they can rely on in the troubles they face in the Psalms. And I think it's amazing how much you see this servant. Look at like verse 26. As soon as he sees that this is something that's from the Lord, first thing he does in verse 26 is he bows his head to the ground and worships God. Verse 52. When... Uh, Rebecca's family says that she can go with him. He bows his head to the earth and worships the Lord. Mm. You know, so he his respect is for Abraham, but his greater reverence is to the Lord. And I, I think that's just extraordinary, you know, that he he's so mindful of God. He's so mindful of what this is really all about, that he's not just sent on some important task and just trying to find a nice woman of good integrity for his master's servant, but this is about the greater context of this co- this very special and unique covenant that he knows he has a role in. Jesus says, you know, I thank you, Lord, that you did not reveal this to kings and rulers, mm. but you've revealed it unto babes. Um, that's that's Jesus right there. Is this He has that connection. And even though he's working through all these things and working through his life, he never forgets who his master is and he is always focusing on what his master wants and he's only doing those things that his master wants him to do in this sense uh, his father and uh, yeah there's a lot of links to be made there that's pretty incredible because then even then oh man look think about what's going on Jesus did what he did to secure the bride for the covenant, basically. To provide everything possible to make it so that that marriage could be made into the greater promises. Does that make sense? The the idea that, you know, here's this servant. There is the sense that that this servant, you know, I I recognize that that the bride is wedded to Christ and not the servant, you know, wedded to Isaac and not the servant. But everything Jesus did was in preparation for that. Right. Yeah. Although, Speaking wait a minute, even right. more so, could we could we say that the apostles are mm. similar to the steward? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Almost like uh, we're we even today are striving to be the servant to draw uh, people to the Lord to enter into a covenant with, you know, yeah. like a marriage covenant. Because this really is like evangelism, what the servant is doing. You know, he's right. going out and he's looking for a certain quality of person 
with certain characters that determine whether or not someone would be that appointed person. And really what we're trying to do in evangelism is when we're preaching the gospel, someone has to change their heart and become that appointed person, knowing the value of the covenant that's being offered and the invitation being offered. Well, my mind is being completely blown could right it, now. Could it be expanded to Paul's expression in Ephesians 3 that God had revealed these mm-hmm. things to the apostles and prophets? That right. all the Bible writers, the new covenant writers, who help us to mold our hearts into the image of Jesus right. as Christians right. today. Right, 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 yeah. I mean, it's yeah. along the same lines, too, in the sense that he's looking for something very specific. And he's right. asking for yep. something very specific. And what are we doing when we're trying to evangelize, but we're saying, Lord, please help help me to reach, help me, help me to talk to somebody who has a heart that wants to follow you, that wants right. to follow the dictates of your word, the specific, I mean, we'll just say the specific salvation process that you've outlined, that I right. can help them see that. And that's, you know, wow. Huh. Same verse 21. Kind of on the note of him looking for Rebecca, verse 21 fascinates me as well. That it's pointed out the man wondered at her and remained silent. And I imagine that as she was filling up these hundreds of gallons of water, if that's as much as she did, which it really may have been, he's just like standing there watching her do this. And I imagine he's got this like very intense expression on his face, like really staring intently like, hmm. And I think this, this shows he's not too hasty. You know, like, as right. soon as she said this, he could have said, oh, you're the woman. I found, this is the woman the Lord was seeking. But, like, it seems like in verse 20, she drew for all his camels, and he was still wondering. Mm. You know, he waited until she was completely finished. He wanted to see her take it to its completion, what she had mm. said. And so it really showed faithfulness on her part, that what she speaks, she will do. And I just think it's interesting how long he probably had to wait. But he was willing to wonder and wait the whole time. And it just shows a lot of patience to make sure, no, I want to be careful. She said she'll do this. I don't just want to just jump to a conclusion that this is the answer to my prayer, you know? Verse 27, you know, the first thing he does after he bows is he says, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth. Uh, I want to show you something really quick. Go to uh, Psalm 45. This is one of the Psalms that's quoted in Hebrews as being related to Jesus. Uh, and when you read this psalm, it's even more clear when you actually read the whole psalm. It's definitely uh, just completely messianic. Mm-hmm. But uh, in verse 4, and this kind of is a theme in a, in a few different psalms, uh, it says, and this is talking about the, the king under consideration, in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. Um and there's just a lot of different places in the Psalms where uh, there's the idea related to the Messiah of mercy and truth being combined together as related to God's covenantal faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Like, go to Psalm 61, verse uh, 6 and 7. 6 and 7. It says there, You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. And again, that's that's a theme that just goes on and on through the Psalms, mercy and truth. So it's just, it's interesting that this servant perceives that what God was preserving here was mercy and truth. He actually acknowledges that again in verse 48, who has led me in the way of truth. Um, so I think it's interesting that as this servant interacts with God's providence, 
begins to more clearly recognize qualities of God and his covenant and God's interacting with his covenant as well. Um, and I think that draws the servant into a deeper ability to interact with God and know God. Um, I'm not sure where to, where to go with that, but I just think, I just think that's, that's interesting to observe in, in the servant and his language. And that is a commonality among God's people in Scripture, that they're constantly thankful for the Lord, and they're constantly thankful for what he's doing, even if yeah. they don't really like exactly what's going on. I mean, they, in this case, everything that happens is really up this this uh, steward's, this servant's alley. I mean, he's totally fine with it. Everything goes incredibly well. There's not wow. a hitch in it. Yeah. But then, of course, yeah, even... I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm just was, getting really excited. That's you get excited, <laughs> but uh, but then even even then, like, with like with like the minor prophets, like I mean, uh, uh, the idea that uh, what is it? Is it Hosea that is just basically like, why are you doing this to your people? Maybe I'm getting that wrong. Which was the minor prophet? About Habakkuk. Yeah, something about Habakkuk. 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 Habakkuk's basically saying, why why are you letting this happen to your people? And of course, the right. end of that book ends up with him saying, "Yeah, no, you're right. I get it now. Right. You know, kind yeah. of deal." And and so that's a that's a commonality among I think godly minded people is the idea that even though we don't always, uh, you know, you don't always see what you want to see, you don't always get the result that you want. You still praise God regardless, and and yeah. in every step of the way. Amen. And I think that comes from a heart that acknowledges that it truly is an act of mercy on God's part to even be faithful to his covenant. It is not, even though God sets yeah. the expectation for him to fulfill that expectation is still not something that's deserved. Right. So I think for instance, when the servant says who has not forsaken his mercy, I think he's acknowledging like, Hey, God had every right to forsake his mercy. This, right. this, everything God is doing is an act of mercy. And if you want to throw Abraham away this far into the covenant after everything he had said, okay. Yeah. God is so yeah. great. He's so awesome. He has every right to do whatever he wants. So the fact that he chooses willfully to be faithful and humble himself to pay attention to these things, wow. Blessed yes. be the Lord who has not forsaken his mercy and truth. You know, so he acknowledges that God is being faithful to his truth, but it's still an act of mercy. It's not something he expected and he just said, well, God's just doing what he said he's going to do and figured he was going to do it anyway. You know, and, and that's the thing is in, in Christ, God grants us expectations from him, like to us. Yeah. But when we really understand who God is and who we are, we realize that even God fulfilling those expectations set in Christ is an astonishing act of grace and mercy, an astonishing mm -hmm. act of humility on his part. And we certainly don't deserve, no matter how far God takes us in our salvation, if at the end of our salvation God said, you know what, you are too much trouble. You get cast into outer darkness. God is so good and so wise and awesome. It was only mercy in the first place. You know, so it's always mercy on God's part. Probably not as deep as that. Paul said in Ephesians 2, we're saved by grace through faith, and that right, not of ourselves, right. it is the gift yeah. of God. Amen. People always mm -hmm. recognize the grace is the gift of God, but the faith is the mm -hmm. gift of God too. It's all mm -hmm. a gift mm -hmm. from God. What is the vehicle of salvation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean... There are a number of ways that God saves us. It all comes back down. The, the why of it is because of his grace. But the how 
you know, we're saved uh, in baptism, we're saved by faith, we're saved by repentance. But, but they, even that know. comes from God. Oh yeah, no, it's, right. it all it all the, comes right. back to, the, the, back to Him. The standard, as well as the means to attain the standard. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Yeah, very good. Very good. One one other thing I did want to point out that just kind of came to my mind too: uh, the the family's blessing for Rebecca, um, mother thousands of ten thousands. Right? I mean that that kind of <laughs> they that comes true. They could not have imagined. Yeah, no no way they could know that. Right? And even more so. May your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. <laughs> that that came that's coming that's going to come true with Egypt, in some ways that they they're going to make you know leave Egypt with all the spoils, and then in Canaan, uh, the the people that begin to hate them in Canaan, guess what they go right through and they take possession of the land. Uh, but again, back to God's mercy and grace, that all happens because He makes it happen. I'm going to say something that may not be necessarily helpful um, or accurate. Um, it's going to be one of those thinking out loud things, but verse 60, you know, one thing we've mentioned before in Genesis in a few instances, uh, I guess one example of when I think we talked about this before is uh, Genesis uh, chapter 5, Noah's father, uh, Lamech, in verse 29, you know, he said that Noah was going to give them rest from the curse of the ground that the Lord had cursed. Wow. And I think we talked about how, you know, you can easily just read over that like, oh, okay, you know, he said that. And then God kind of did it, I guess. You know, but what if, and this is what we, I believe we talked about, what if God listened? You know, what right. if God was looking for someone to say that? What if God was just looking for anyone to have a sincere interest in redemption? And as soon as someone actually wow. opened their mouth and said, this will be the one to give us rest, God said, mark it. I'm doing it. Finally, someone said it with their <laughs> mouth, and I can confirm it. Yeah. And I wonder if in verse 60, the only thing that matters about this is they had simply said with their mouths what God was wanting to do anyway. And so God could mark those words down and say, you got it. That's exactly what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do. I, mm. I love that. I think when we see things like that, to me, it shows how eager God is to answer those things and respond to the things that are truly consistent with his will. And, and I think it also proves that, I mean, in what way could they have known that? And, you know, certainly they didn't give God the idea. Right, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and so through their free will action, they said something that completely goes along with, I mean, and, and, and that happens in our lives, right? I mean, sometimes we think, well, you know, what if this happens? And sometimes it happens, right? Uh, it's not miraculous. And we have to even be careful to say that it's God's providence because we don't always know. But at the right. end result, it's, it's this aspect that, uh, you know, uh, God can take our free will decisions and make wonderful things out of them. So... Well, and I, I think that relates to, and this gets into application, but First John five fourteen, where John says, now this is the confidence that within him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Yeah. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. You know, and, and the key thing is whatever's in accordance with his will. You know, but, you know, in Genesis, and I think, uh, you know, in the beginning here, people may not always have understood that they were speaking in accordance with God's will when they spoke. But God was watching himself to look 
carefully for those things that were of his will so he could mark them himself and I think give us these examples. Um, it just really, it encourages me to pray. You know, it encourages me to have confidence that God cares so much about the things that, that we say and desire that truly match his desired will. things that we can apply here is the forethought that Abraham had in doing this. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly how to put this in the best way, but I, I've been thinking a lot and I've been uh, considering, uh, the idea of dating. You know, I have a one year old son, but one day he's probably going to gain an interest <laughs> in the opposite sex, you know? And, uh, how do you go about that? Do you just sort of let them out into the world and just kind of say, Okay, good luck, son, you know. Um, or do you try to put some aspect of your own involvement in it? Um, uh, Brian, you and I talked a little while ago about a lesson that we both looked at that kind of, the guy was kind of taking it almost to an extreme that said, you know, the father has to have complete and total control of who the, the son or daughter dates. And that only happens if he allows it. Um, and that really dating, of course, is such a recent invention. This is not, that didn't exist back in Abraham's time. Uh, but, but I do think there's something to be said here about, you know, regardless of the way that you go in terms of how you raise up your children, there has to be, it seems that personal interest in what's going to happen to them. Abraham, just for his sake, he's saying, you know, don't, don't find a woman that's, uh, a, a, one of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. This is not going to be good. And he wasn't saying that on a racial basis, I think. I think even at that time, he was making that distinction, uh, on a spiritual level. And that's, again, that's, we mess up when we think that the reason that God didn't want the Israelites to intermarry with the other nations was a racial thing. It wasn't a racial thing. It was a spiritual aspect of it that that influence was not going to be good. And so I think, I just think kind of out the, out the park, that's a good aspect that we can consider that, um, you know, having that interest in your family, uh, and, 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 and in your children to, to know that this future is coming up and to make that way, make that preparation for them. Um, dad, you, you may have some stuff to say there. I think just a little bit. Well, it's interesting. When I was growing up in the seventies, uh, in the nineteen seventies, and dating, uh, there wasn't a lot of control exercised by parents. There was some influence and some efforts to put some kids together. By the time my kids got old enough to date, there was a recognition among even many people in society that young kids, say fifteen, sixteen, do not need to date singly. Keep them in groups until they're 17, 18, maybe even or older. And now I think I hear voices, even in our society, of people who recognize that dating may be one of the worst ways in which people uh, choose their future mate. But we get even a more broad 
application of this. There are just some places you don't need to go. There's just some things you don't need to get involved with. We have the idea that we can take it. We can go there and, and not do uh, the terrible things that other people do. We can engage in this in these relationships without it scarring our souls, but it will. We think we can give ourselves even intimately to others and it not affect us later on. Uh, but the Bible teaches uh, purity, and chastity, and a commitment and a dedication, and all those things are found uh, in uh, in these ways that bring people together with guidance, with some type of of a desire that the parents express that this be a certain lifelong uh, commitment. And uh, I think there's just a lot of great lessons about uh, things that we need to stay away from. In because because Abraham doesn't just say. No, it's inconvenient for you to take him. No, he said he must not go there. Yeah, and and just to clarify too, we're not we're not saying that people literally have to do what Abraham did, but there's got to be some place between betrothal and just complete lack of control. <laughs> there's got to be this place where where uh, you know we're making sure that children are not being led to make rash decisions that they are not ready for. And I think that's just something that, I mean, and this is the thing we're living in a society where 10 year olds, 11 year olds are being told that you can choose which gender that you want to be. If you feel like you're, you're actually a girl when you're a boy, you can, you can be that. That's terrible. And, and you know, the fact that we live in a society that is preying upon young people in that way um, and, and I don't mean to rant about that, but I just th- think that's something for us to think about in terms of what's going on in this chapter. Yeah, and I think there's some uh, really good principle in this chapter related to those things. So like Abraham, for instance, had a very uncompromising view as a father, you know, because the servant said, well, I mean, you know, what if the, wi- what if the woman doesn't want to follow? Should I take him there? And he, first thing in New King James, he says in verse 6, is beware. says, beware that you do not take my son back there. You know, so Abraham had an uncompromising view, and then the servant was equally as uncompromising as well. Um, And, like, the servant had a very clear expectation. I think that was based on character and heart. So in verse 14, he he was praying to the Lord for one, um, but then... For two, he set a standard that this woman would be very kind and hospitable and generous and hardworking, you know, and, and his expectation was set on what he knew of the Lord. And so I just think, you know, where did Abraham and the servants' uncompromising view come from? It, be, it came from their love for God. It became yeah. from their understanding of the seriousness of this, from their view of God. So, like, for instance, just I'm going to give a side example and then say something else. Joseph fled Potiphar's wife, right? Everybody knows that. I do not think personally Joseph in that circumstance is a sufficient enough example to make me do anything different in my life. That may sound really strange. Why did Joseph flee Potiphar's wife? That's the motivation to change. He knew the Lord, and he loved the Lord, and he did not want to betray the Lord. Abraham's commitment to this came from his knowledge and his love for God. The servant and his uncompromising pursuit came from his knowledge of God and his love for God. 
I think the mistake on my part, so I'll take the risk of being kind of personal to maybe help with this point a little bit more. You know, I lived unfaithfully for a while. And my standard of the kind of person I was looking for romantically was awful. I mean, it was it was so terrible. And having repented and looking at the seriousness of, seriousness of God's covenant, what changed? What really changes my view of, of what I'm looking in somebody romantically? What what really um, becomes striking and important? What really changes that? It's knowing and loving the Lord. That's what makes the difference. Um, so just like Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife because of what he knew of the Lord, I think the same thing it holds true for us and held true for Abraham and his servant. The key thing, the key thing is to learn to love the Lord and to see the glory of who he is. I think there's a lot of things that we can try to be very strict on and we try to be strict for the sake of the, the know, the knowledge of the need for strictness without actually growing in knowledge and love of the Lord. Well, then the strictness doesn't make sense. And then there's the pushback and the rebellion, and there's the uh, there's not understanding why there's the strictness. Um, when when somebody learns to know and love the Lord, uh, a lot a lot of a lot of strict things begin to make sense, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you don't mind the strictness. In fact, yeah, you, exactly. That, it's a protection from losing if your you soul. You embrace it. That's yeah, right. Amen. Yes. You embrace it. Yep. Yep. And and I, I guess. What we need to remind remind ourselves, I need to remind myself of this just a minute ago. <laughs> the fact that why did Abraham leave Ur of the Chaldees? He left it because God mm-hmm. told him to. But right. his family basically it seems like they were idol worshippers. And, sure. and they were worshiping these other gods. You know that uh, that's why we've brought up before in this study Joshua saying, "You know, choose this day whom you serve, whether you serve the gods of your fathers on the other side of the river." He's not talking about Egypt, because generally, I don't think we see evidence of the Israelites serving the gods of the Egyptians, but we do see in Ur of the Chaldees, that was the gods of their fathers. And so, I think that's why Abraham is saying, don't take my son there. Uh, he, he doesn't want him to be there. He doesn't want him to even really be exposed right. to that temptation. Um, right. But he wants, oh man, this gets back to the whole theme thing, though. He wants the steward to go and to get this person out of this idolatrous country and take her into into that relationship. What you learn of ancient pagan religions was that they sought to please people, to find worshipers of their gods in way. I mean, the the the, the whole uh, prostitute priestess uh, thing was all about pleasing worshipers, just as human religions today try to please people to fill their coffers and to fill their buildings. And uh, so there would be a real temptation. Isaac had never seen anything like that. He had come from a rather strict household with uh, principles and values and a standard to live up to. And uh, he, he might be uh, taken by a society that would be um, all designed to fulfill your pleasures and make you happy. Well, Brian, since he shared something personal, I mean, that's that's kind of what happened with me, I think, growing up, that, like, you know, growing up, uh, uh, the son of a preacher, this is getting, I, I hope it's not getting too personal, but it's the idea that... Cough, when, cough, Jeff, Jeff the preacher. <laughs> no, but once I, once I, once I allowed myself... <laughs> 
once I allowed myself to be exposed to that aspect of life, I, I ran out and embraced it. You know, once I got rid of the inhibitions and, uh, and followed it. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, terrible things can happen when that's not, uh, really checked. And again, you know, uh, I, I don't say that 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 Dad didn't watch out for me like Abraham did. I I, I think I think Dad did watch out for me, but uh, you know sometimes that happens despite your best efforts. But well, the, uh, prodigal, the prodigal son's father let him go. Mm, yeah, right. I mean, there's 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 two sides to this to think about. Right, right. Because you could force uh, a son to stay at home in his room and not get you know he's grounded for life or something such as that. But the prodigal son's father knew that the, you know, what happened from your experience, even though I'm not saying everyone needs to go through that, but now you embrace the strictness and the protection and, and the love of God. Hope and so. <laughs> you, you embrace the right things. And I'm not saying that everybody has to go through that, but good can come from bad things and bad decisions if we let them. And, you know, God, God can make the best out of these situations. Um, you know, not to move on too abruptly, but I mean, I, I think in application, we need, we need women like Rebecca. We need girls like Rebecca, um, who are not afraid of working. Um, I don't say that in a way that women have to be working in the kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we need women who are willing to, step up to the plate and be who God wants them to be, just as we need men that are doing the same thing. It takes work to make a family. Right. And you need to be willing to do whatever needs to be done. Right. Whether it's in the kitchen or wherever it's at. And on that same basis, just continuing to look at Rebecca, her willingness to go along with this, um, and and uh, and ultimately... I really think I really want to look at the idea of her modesty back in sure. verse 65. She took a veil and covered herself. We need modest women. We need women who understand that their bodies are a gift from God and it's not something to be displayed for everybody to see. And it's not liberating. See, that's the thing about it. People talk about women's lib as if showing this uh, skin is liberating. It's not. You are, you're bounding yourself to the lusts of, of others. And, and that's, that's really not a place that you want to be. Um, we need people just generally, same thing with men. We need men who are modest, uh, you know, take, take your pick as far as what to see there. But I mean, humility goes along with it. Yeah. You've got to be humble to truly understand modesty and, and embrace that and be willing for that. And one of the things she saw herself in God's plan. And we need to see ourselves in God's plan. He mentioned verse 21. I love this verse because I'm so guilty about offering a prayer to God in the morning. And then I don't think much about that prayer the rest of the day. But he was watching for that prayer to be fulfilled. And we need to do that every day. We need to offer our prayers and then look for them to be fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, verse 26, you know, like, Kind of like what you said, Jeff. Like I need to, I need to be quick to bow my head and worship God when yes. I see any sign of yes. God responding and acting. You know, right. like he and think about the boldness. Like this might have looked really strange to Rebecca for this guy to just drop down to the ground with no context, but he did. And then he said out loud with his mouth, "Blessed be the Lord God." 
you know, in verse 52, he did it again in front of her family. And again, they might have been kind of taken aback by that, too. It's like, what's uh, everybody looks at each other like, what's this guy doing? You know, is he on the floor? You know, but I need to be much more bold in thanking the Lord and, and much. I need to be looking for opportunities where I can do that, looking for opportunities to thank and praise and honor God. I've even been thinking recently about that, that I just I'm, I'm robbing God of praise that he deserves that I can be giving him. You know, there's there's so many things to be praising God for all the time. The, the Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. Amen. If you have right. something good happen to you during the day, mm. it has come right. directly or indirectly from God. And we yeah, need to amen. pause and thank you. Yeah, amen. Very good. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I can't think of anything else to bring up, fellas. Uh, I mean, obviously... If we want to go back, did we cover the stewardship aspect? I wanted to, I wanted to mention. I wanted to mention one more thing about hospitality. Yeah, because this is a very practical thing. We talked a lot about Eastern hospitality, but here's a command in the New Covenant: First Peter four verse nine: Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It is a part of my stewardship to share the things God has blessed me with. This is talking about with brethren in the church, but it could be others as well. Now, I want us to be safe. I don't want us to take in strangers in a dangerous way, but figure out a way that you can share the blessings God has given you with others. It's part of your stewardship. It applies to us. It's not just an Eastern thing. Yeah, that's a good point, because, I mean, what's interesting here is that if you keep reading Genesis, you're going to come to understand this Laban kind of comes out to be a rascal with Jacob. But at the same time, uh, here we've got a pretty good image of him. He's you know pretty positive in terms of his hospitality and how things are going uh, in his in in his willingness to work this out and, and go along with this. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good point. So let's 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 be like Rebecca. Let's be like the the steward, the servant that Abraham uh, sent out. Let's try to be like Abraham as much as possible, and uh, let's seek out these good things and and try to be faithful to God, be thankful to God, uh, to be hospitable, um, and also just to trust that God has this plan, and uh, to trust ourselves to that. Not blindly, but but seeking, and that's the greatest thing about this is that they had such limited knowledge at this time, at that time. But we've been given all things, and we can understand every aspect of this, and that's just a really great gift. I also think about Isaac here, and in that we need to pause and thank God for good people in our lives who who work for good things to happen to us, whether it be our family or our parents or whomever it might be. They want good things to happen to us, and they do something as a result of that desire that makes our life better. And Isaac was blessed greatly because of all these actions. And we've been blessed. There have been people in our lives that have helped us. He was directly blessed by Rebecca. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that help of a, of a good mate and a good spouse that really just really wants the best for you, that's, I mean, this is a great, I mean, now that I really look at it, I've never used it this way. Dad, maybe you have. This would be a great chapter to study with young people about, you know, finding a mate. Yes. 
mm-hmm. and and just kind of looking at some of the greater aspects of what's going on here. Even if you take out the, you know, the parents' arrangement, betrothal aspect, just just uh, right. be talking about the attitudes that are involved in all all players. But still, even then, hey, you could hit on that from the standpoint of make sure your parents are involved in this. Yeah. You know, they don't have to be over your shoulder every two seconds, but, I mean, you know, you should want their, you know, if any young people are listening to this, you should want your parents to be involved with who you're going to end up with, you know, mm-hmm. th- to some degree, mm-hmm. for them to know about this and to to be aware of what's going on. Now, nine times out of ten, the trouble that I got into growing up were things that I kept from my parents. And, uh, and, and, and I knew that wasn't, that those weren't things they'd be happy with. And so I often would lie about those things. Uh, but, you know, we can do better than that. So. So there's, there's one last thing, uh, that I wanted to point out, verse 63, not to exasperate the podcast. There's, there's been so many good things that have been, that have been said, that have been said. But, uh, I think, Jeff was saying the attitude of all parties, you know, and I think we do see something incredible about Isaac. He went out to the field to do something in the evening. He went out to meditate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's inferring that this was something he did regularly. Wow. You know, and I think yeah. about Psalm 1, verse 2, where it talks about the blessed man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I've been struggling with is finding more time just to think. Uh, like to think about God, to think about to reflect on my intentions through the day, to think about, to even reflect on things I've done and think about why I did those things and just be more honest and be more thoughtful. Um, and I think, you know, the more engaged we become in our faith, the more thoughtful that God uh, allows us to become, more thoughtful about ourselves, more thoughtful of him, more thoughtful of others. And God really is trying to deeply engage our mind. Um, and I think Isaac does something extraordinary where he just stops everything and goes out into a quiet place just to think and meditate. Um, and that, that isolation is such an important thing. And so I think there, there's something about Isaac that's uh, praiseworthy and honorable uh, that we see in him, that he was willing to do that. And I think an application, an example for us, um, meditation is not just an Old Testament concept in the Psalms. Um, I think you see that in Jesus and you see that in the Apostles. And I think when when we examine the commandments in the New Testament, uh, even if we're not commanded to meditate, the commandments that we're given, I think at some point require that we really stop and think because it requires such a dramatic change of heart continuously that it's just not something we can accomplish by just going on and on and on in the, in the busyness of life and the routine of life. At some point, something's got to give and there needs yeah. to be more thought applied to the things that God has given us to do and think about. We've got to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to Walking Through the Book today. We hope it was useful for you. And, uh, Dad, what was the website of uh, the congregation you work with again? RiverCityChurchOfChrist.com and BibleTruthForLiving.com. Be sure and check out those websites and uh, take a look there. And, of course, we'll have uh, our websites mentioned at the end, uh, sort of bumper at the end of the show. So, grateful again for you taking the time to listen today. Uh, hope to talk to you soon uh, some more about the Bible next time, Lord willing. We'll be going into Genesis chapter 25. Uh, until then, we hope that you study well and be lights to God's glory.
The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.